0: Welcome to the podcast of the Vine Church in Fullerton, California. For more information, visit Vineoc.com. Hey everybody, welcome back. Now we're going to look at God's Word. We believe that through His Word, God can speak to us, God can meet us and God can encourage us. And so we're gonna look at his word together. And we've invited Dr. Bill Doctrum to help to share the message today. He's been a pastor for over 25 years and currently he is an associate professor over pastoral ministries at Vanguard University. And we will be continuing our series on how God meets and changes characters in the Old Testament. So now I'd like to turn it over to Bill. Well, good morning. It's a privilege to join you and uh, to celebrate some of the things that God is doing at Vintage, to reconnect with uh, Ash, whose honor I've worn my black shirt, and uh, to share in this conversation uh, that you're uh, engaging in as we look at some of the uh, folks in the Old Testament, particularly and, and basically ask the question, what does, it, what does it take to become somebody that God can trust, to become somebody that God can use to partner with him to save the world, uh, to uh, join in with him? Is it about perfection? Is it about having kind of all of your ducks in a row, uh, all of the things done that need to be done? And of course, Spoiler alert, you've probably already figured out that God regularly, consistently uses broken people, uh, uses the leftovers, uses the folks who in that culture and at that time, and really in our culture, and our time, uh, are not taken into account. Uh, And he doesn't use them just in spite of their weakness, in spite of their brokenness, although there is an element of that. God uses their weakness. God uses their brokenness, which is good news for us who are weak and broken in some interesting ways. They become part of the fabric of redemption. As it turns out, God does wonders with dirt, Genesis chapter 2. And that's particularly important in this hard season that we're in, isn't it? Uh, where life is not turning out the way anybody predicted that it would, and we are being invited into the consideration of what arises out of this confusion, out of this chaos, out of this um, um, despair almost, that our country, our our world really, is vibrating with, will it surprise you to know that this is the seedbed? Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, the day of Pentecost— Uh, resurrection out of which God births new life. So we want to be the kinds of people whom God can use in these moments and celebrate what he's doing so that we can and then begin to participate with him in that. I have the privilege of um, kind of looking at the person of Abraham. One of the first names that we have uh, surfacing in extra biblical literature. Uh, In the story we pick up in chapter 12, in this uh, uh, Abrahamic cycle, if you will, we're just going to drop down into three passages of Scripture to look at his story and to consider it and to learn what we can from him. He just kind of appears on the scene. There is not a whole lot of... um, reference to him before we get to this verse 1 of chapter 12 in the book of Genesis. Follow along uh, as I read this uh, passage of scripture. Now, the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house, to the land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and your name will be made great and you shall be a blessing i will bless those who bless you for the one who and the one who curses you i will curse and in you all of the families of the earth shall be blessed well this is a a powerful story those 3 verses say an awful lot in them you'll notice that there is no Indicator of why it is that Abram is chosen. Uh, In fact, as we read down the story in the next few chapters, we discover there's a whole lot that we might think would have disqualified him, uh, and we'll look briefly at snapshotting some of those. But in this moment, maybe the only thing that qualifies Abram is that when God calls, he says yes. When God says leave, he picks up and leaves. And please notice what it is that he's leaving. He's leaving his country. He's leaving his relatives. He's leaving his father's house. All of those things that in the ancient Near Eastern world are markers of identity, Abram is setting aside in response to the voice that he has heard that has resonated with something at the center of his soul. We don't know anything about Abraham's thought process. We don't know anything about Abram's uh, processing of this. Uh, We hear the promise. I will make you a blessing. I will bless you so that you in you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I will curse those who curse you. There's a protection element in there, but we don't hear Abram's response. All we know is the beginning of verse four, Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. So all of these markers of identity, country, fathers, house, relatives are set aside. All of the things that in that culture gave him meaning and significance are ended so that he can receive, if you will, a new identity as the one who has said yes to God. I I think you're making the parallels there uh, as Paul picks up on these very basic ideas in both Romans and Corinthians. And he says, in Christ, in God, all things are made new. Uh, the previous ways of knowing and being understood and marked are no longer relevant. So here we see this uh, in, in, in the, the beginning of this story. And it's important probably to notice here that Abram is not blessed so that he can be blessed. He's blessed so that he can be a blessing. And when the descendants of Abraham forget that, when they think that they're being blessed because they're all that, um, it's not long before they have to be reminded that's not what the point is. The point is you're blessed so that God can, through you, bless the nations of the world. And of course, this is something that we're going to need to kind of keep track of ourselves in our own journeys, isn't it? So as we look at this, uh, we we know this, that Abram's not asking a lot of questions. There's a lot of probably misunderstandings and confusion about what all of this means. And um, there is no explanation, just obedience. Here's something that I probably think it's worth underlining. Understanding if and when it comes will not come before we obey. It will only come if it comes along the way of our obedience. This is a, 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 a an ironclad almost principle because we're gonna come to understand that what Abram is kind of doing here as he steps out in obedience to the voice is an act of faith. Faith is not about believing in magic. Faith is about standing in a certain kind of reality and living out of the center of it. Hebrews defines it as the substance of things hoped for. So that there is a solidity, there is a reality in which Moses, excuse me, Abram stands. And that is called faith. Understanding when it comes, not as a precursor, but as a post outcome to faith and to the journey of faith. So uh, as we go along, we discover Abram is as plain as dirt. He's as ordinary as anybody and everybody. He's afraid when they go down into Egypt in a couple of chapters uh, that that the Egyptians are going to see his 65-year-old wife at this point, Sarai, and desire her to the point that they're willing to execute him, which is kind of a tongue in cheek joke uh, at the expense of the Egyptians of that age, that a 65-year-old uh, woman from the north country would be more attractive than all the maidens of Egypt, but you get the joke, um, and, and Abram comes out of that pretty much unscathed. Uh, he, 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 he participates back and forth in the journeys uh, in response to the famines. He and his nephew Lot divide the land with Lot taking the, the most fertile looking land. Abram left with the leftovers, which then God blesses and multiplies. Abram uh, has to rescue his nephew Lot uh, when he gets in trouble and when the um, uh, kings of the region go to war uh, and, and, and over and over again in this whole journey, uh, God is promising, uh, I'm going to give you a son and you all of the nations of the world will be blessed. And you'll notice that as we go through the narrative that Abram starts to push back a little bit. Uh, he, he basically says, yeah, I've heard you make these promises. What's, what's going on here? Where, where is the, 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 the fulfillment of these promises? He takes matters into his own hands at the urging of his wife, Sarai. And uh, Ishmael is born, who, because of God's relationship with I, uh, Abram, also is blessed. But he is not the son of promise. He's not the one that God had in mind. And, and, and Abram pushes back. You've made all of these promises and, and nothing. Nothing's happening here. Where, what is the? And God finally, in chapter 15, binds himself unilaterally to Abram in a stunning scene as the sun sets. Uh, it's worth, worth, uh, worth reading uh, on your own, uh, where God just binds himself in self-sacrificing ways uh, to, to Abraham to fulfill the promise. But still, Abram, you're gonna have to learn how to walk by faith. We've still got a lot of work to do before you're ready to receive the promise. And so finally, in chapter 18, um, God shows up on the scene uh, and, and makes the commitment that a, a year from now, one year from this moment, you will have a son. And Sarah, when she hears this in the tent, laughs, and that then becomes the name of their boy, Isaac, laughter. Uh, but then we see this particular inter- particularly interesting scene in chapter 18, God and his um, angelic companions have joined Abram for dinner and have made this stunning prophetic announcement of Isaac's birth in the next year. And after dinner, the two men go off, and then we see this conversation emerging in chapter 18 of, of Genesis, uh, verse 16. It says, the men arose from dinner and looked down toward Sodom. And Abraham was walking with them to to send them off. And the Lord said, Should I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I've chosen him. And in order that he might command his children and his household after him to keep the ways of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice in order that the Lord may bring about on Abram what he has spoken about him. So the Lord said, the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great. Their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go down now to see if they have done according to what I have heard, which has come to me. And if not, then I will know. So the men turned away from there and went down toward Sodom while Abraham was still standing before the Lord. And then Abraham came near and said, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city Will, will you sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are, are treated alike. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? So the Lord said, well, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, I will spare the whole place on their account. And Abraham answered and said, Now now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord, even though I'm but dust and ashes. But suppose the 50 are lacking five. Will Will you destroy the whole city because of five? He said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. He spoke to him again and said, suppose 40 are found there. He said, I will will not do it on account of 40. Then he said, oh, may the Lord not be angry. Uh, I shall speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. He said, now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He said, I will not destroy it on account of 20. Then he said, oh, may the Lord not be angry. I'll speak only this one more time. Suppose 10 are found there. He said, I will not destroy it on account of the 10. And as soon as he had finished speaking to Abraham, the Lord departed and Abraham returned to his place. This is a, a, a stunningly powerful story. It gives us a little bit of an insight into how the, how the universe is a, aligned, this, the outcry uh, of the cities themselves. The land had cried out. They had, had gotten weary of the pollution, of the wickedness of the people in their cities, and the cities themselves, the dirt itself, is crying out for God's justice. And so God is uh, on a mission as the story unfolds to um, see if what he has heard is actually true. And along the way, of course, he stopped to tell Abraham of the birth of Isaac in the next year. And now, on their way to examine whether Sodom and Gomorrah and what they've heard about it has is 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 true, um, you can hear God musing to himself: "Shall I? Shall I?" Tell Abraham what I'm about to do. And notice the rationale here. I've chosen him so that he can become a great and mighty nation and and, and uh, command his children and his household by doing righteousness and justice. So you can see the rationale that the Lord is employing here. Is Abraham the kind of person that I can trust with the blessing that is, that is coming to him through Isaac in, in a year. Should I, should, I, should I test this out? You can hear this conversation. Of course, we know in the nature of Hebrew narrative, it's not because God needs to know something that he's asking these questions. Is it so that Abraham can learn something and so that we who are, are learning from Abraham can learn something about the nature of God and the nature of the life that he wants from the people that he chooses? To bless. And so he tells him the story. The cities have cried out and I'm going to go and check it out. Apparently, Abraham has enough familiarity to know about Sodom and Gomorrah. His nephew Lot lives there to know this isn't going to turn out well for Sodom and Gomorrah. And I want you to notice the impulse of Abraham. He steps into the gap. He knows something about the Lord's redemptive capacity. He knows something about the heart of God. He knows something about the nature of God's character. And so, in a in a scene that's almost humorous, you can see this played out in every, any bazaar, any marketplace in the ancient Near Eastern, probably even today. But clearly in that time where where he starts high, hoping to end with a reasonable number, he begins with this this declaration. And please notice what he says. Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? This isn't like you. This isn't your character. Far be it from you to do such a thing, to to spare and treat the righteous and the wicked the same way. That's not like you. And he starts with 50. And 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 you can see almost, I don't know if you can catch it in the story or not, but you can see the gleam in God's eyes as his friend Abraham leans in with intention. Abraham understands the character of God. He gets him in this story. No, I I, I won't for 50. And then Abraham, 45, 40, 30. And in each case, God's response, building in his enthusiasm for Abraham's having gotten him. No, for 30, I won't. For 20, I won't. And then finally, at the end of this negotiation, Abraham says, uh uh, uh, this is this is as low as i think i can go for 10 and the lord's response is no if i find 10 there i will spare the whole city for 10. abraham is working his relationship with god that Obedience has become something else. That obedience to the voice, to the impulse, to the pull of, of, of the call of God has become something else. That relationship has signaled itself in profound ways. And he invites this conversation now. There is a relational connection that Abraham has, and he is now leveraging that in an intercessory model he speaks and invites god to consider on the basis of god's character whether mercy should triumph over justice that's what the story is about and we discover you can see the smile on god's face as he turns and walks towards sodom abraham gets me you can almost hear that can't you Abraham knows that in push come to shove, yes, justice, especially consequential justice. That's the nature of wrath. It's the, it's the shadow of love that, that goes after what is destroying what is loved, who is loved. But still in all, even in the middle of the, the, the need for, for, for justice is this longing to moderate it through mercy and Abraham gets it. His relationship with God developed through obedience, faith has produced an awareness of God's character that makes God proud of him. You'll remember later on in the story, he's gonna introduce himself as the God of Abraham. Yeah, Abraham gets me. He understands my heart for, for justice, yes, but more for mercy if the opportunity is possibly given. And, and, and of course, Abraham steps into the role of intercessor here in, in, in a role that will, will, will be developed by Moses and, and more clearly by Jesus. And can I suggest... That in the fallen, broken world in which we live, that is crying out for justice, that our role in that is not to say, Sickem, God, <laughs> rain down judgment on them. Our role, like Abraham's, like Jesus's, like Moses, is to step in in the role of the intercessor and cry for mercy. Abraham teaches us that out of his brokenness, but also out of his relationship to God. The story goes on. Isaac is born. Ishmael and Hagar are sent off into the desert. And then at the end of the story, the last story that really is told of Abraham, we come up against this really alarming little narrative in chapter 22 that I want to finish up with this morning. Chapter 22, verse 1 says this, It came about after all of these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Now take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. He split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had foretold him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. And Abraham said to the young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go yonder and we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burned offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and took in his hand the fire and the knife. And the two of them walked on together. And Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, he said, Here am I, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. They came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built there the altar and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from the heavens and said, Abraham, Abraham, he said, here am I. Don't stretch out your hand against the lad. Do nothing to harm him. Now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, there was a ram caught in the thicket by its thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. And that's what it is to this day. In the mountain of the lord it will be provided there's so much in this story that is alarming to our western sensibilities why would god do that in the ancient near east especially in the narrative format that we're looking at uh, the the explanation is provided it says uh, abraham test uh, god tested abraham this isn't again a test in in a way for god to know what's abraham's heart it's a it's a it, the, the word here is this idea of refining, of, of purifying, uh, determining uh, what is actually in Abraham's heart so that Abraham can know that. And it's this outlandish, outrageous um, uh, uh, invitation that that voice that Abraham has gotten used to, that relational kind of discernment that he recognizes as God's voice comes to him with the oddest of requests, take your son Take your only son, take your only son whom you love. Take Isaac, one for whom you have waited, the one who is the promise of God, the one who is your future, having you abandoned your past and offer him up as a sacrifice. As alarming as it is, I want you to notice Abraham's response So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took his son. Whatever else you can say about Abraham, whatever else he may have been thinking, we're not even given an insight into it. He has learned the voice of God and that relationship standing in the reality of who God is. Influences willingness to step out in obedience. You'll notice how he responds. He says to the young men when they finally arrive at the place, Moriah, which, as we now know, is where Jerusalem will be eventually situated. Golgotha will be eventually situated. When they leave the young man, he says, "We will go and worship." and return it's on the third day all of these signals just flashing and fireworks of meaning that we are intended to bring into our awareness of this story they go up and isaac asks the question where's the where's the sacrifice and abraham i'm certainly heart in his in his throat tears in his eyes not Understanding, but walking in faithful obedience anyway, the Lord will provide for Himself a lamb. And God does, at the last minute, yes. But it's pressed right to that moment, and you can feel the tension building the score in the, in the movie scene builds, right? Until he takes that knife and is ready to slay his son. And then the voice that he is so familiar with, Abraham, Abraham, you can feel just the surge of relief as what he has known about God proves itself to be true yet again. And God provides a lamb. There's so much here. And of course, what's being tested is whether God who made the promise is the one who Abraham trusts in, or whether it's the promise that Abraham has received. Is it the God who promises, or is it that the promise of God? And Abraham demonstrates relationally, obedient, that it is the God who promises. Paul tells us in Romans that Abraham walked in this faithful awareness that even if he had slain the son of promise, God would have been able somehow, somehow to raise promise from the dead. And that's the invitation to us, isn't it? It's, 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 it's fun in a way to put a poster up on the wall, right? And, and make Abraham a bit of a hero of faith here and he does we, we, we see that in, in, in the New Testament, we see it in Hebrews. we see it in in the book of, but, but that's of uh, Romans, but that's not what we're invited to here. We're invited to learn something from the life of Abraham. Develop a relationship with God such that you recognize his voice and then leverage that relationship in faith to deepening that relationship. That takes all of the brokenness. That takes all of the frailty. That takes all of the weakness. That takes all of the things that you bring along with you. It doesn't fix everything, but it redeems everything. That relational obedience that we are invited into. The key is not perfection. The key is to bring everything that you are with you when you come. And when we do that, We discover that God will take all of those things, many of which we consider to be deficits, and in his relational way, make meaning for his larger purposes. And we will become the kinds of people that God can trust. To partner with him to save the world. Through whom the world will be blessed. And that's the invitation of the life of Abraham. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, I thank you for the privilege of walking with these good people through this important text. I pray now, Lord, that you would help us to take it to heart, to take it to life and learn you to recognize your voice, to walk with you in faithful obedience, because we know you as Abraham knew you. Amen. God bless you, friends.